Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. What was the um, what was the thinking behind buying the decks? Um, because I de- DJing. You I, de- yeah, so you I graduated DJ. from DJ school <laughs> last week. Last week, yeah, they have a school for DJing. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, Sime Tollins. He's a hilarious, like skinny, sixty-year-old DJ, yeah. and he does like side trance and techno and stuff. And um, I found him. I literally. I was so sick of dreaming about DJing mm. that I was like causing me like pain, the desire for it. So I was like, I've got to do something about it. What do I get? Oh, I got to learn. So I was like, I pulled over in traffic mm. and I Googled how to learn to DJ. And I, it's like the first one that came up. Yeah. And I uh, called the number and DJ Sime was like, hey, how you going? And I signed up to the course of, it was only four weeks, four or five weeks. Yeah. Three hours every week. And um, he, yeah, he was, he's great. Like, he was a really good teacher. Like, wasn't by the book. It was just all, like, lots of um, mm. practical stuff. And, yeah, I'm not very good at all. Like, I've, I've got to still learn. And now you're a DJ. Well, I don't know, am I? I have to practice. I've got like, I'm not very, like, I'm not good or anything. I just, I literally know the basics. I graduated from beginner course. Yeah. So you're hoping to flood some dance floors. Oh, yeah. Floods of happiness. Yeah. I just want to move people. It's just the same with acting. Like, you want to move people. Mm. And with with DJing, it's like, so, it's so live and it's just like the same kind of high, I imagine, because I haven't done it before, but you get on stage. Mm-hmm the connection with everybody have you thought of your dj name goldilocks welcome to another epic week of epic rambles my friends out there in the coming up next work welcome to coming up next with alistair marks that's me i'm alistair marks my guest this week is an incredibly impressive woman. She started acting uh, when she was in Dubai, actually, as you're about to hear. And she has become one of the most consistently working young actors currently going around. She's a finalist of the Heath Ledger Scholarship for this year, for 2016. You may recognize her from House Husbands. You may recognize her from Tangle. Or you may recognize her from her award-nominated performance in Anzac Girls. She's coming to a DJ deck near you, my guest this week on Coming Up Next, Georgia Flood. Now, before we dive in, friends, have you got an idea for a podcast but no idea how to execute it? Take it from me when I say that podcasting is an amazing way to expand your reach, create new and exciting work opportunities, and stamp your authority in your area of expertise. I've been working on something really exciting that I'd like to share with you, something that's going to help you podcast like a boss. When I first started coming up next, I went to some of my friends in the entertainment industry to seek out the best way I could produce a show from a technical and creative point of view. I knew that the quality of my podcast would directly reflect the quality of the work that I do. And now I'm bringing their expertise to you. 
If you head to www.bosspods.com, you'll see that myself, along with some of my awesome friends, including Samuel Johnson, are going to take you through the A to Z of podcasting. So take that idea off the shelf, put it into practice, and come and learn how to podcast like a boss. And my friends, don't forget, you can find me on social media at facebook.com slash cunpodcast, on Twitter at cunpodcast, and on Instagram at cunpodcast. You can also head to www.comingupnext.com.au. Go on iTunes, hit that magical subscribe button, rate and review the show, which is actually really important. You know, the more that you rate and review the show, the more amazing guests I can bring to your ear holes. And as you may have seen, this episode is episode number 46, and we are very fast approaching episode 50. And for that episode 50, I have a very, very special treat for you. For episode 50, I've gone to one of my first Coming Up Next alumni, and I've asked her, or maybe him, to interview me. And I'd like to invite you to contribute to this interview If you've got a question you'd like to ask, please feel free to submit. You can do that through the aforementioned social media channels or if you go to comingupnext.com.au, you'll find an email form where you can send me through your questions. The lines, so to speak, will be open until this Sunday, the 29th of May. So if you've got a question you'd like to have featured on episode 50 of Coming Up Next, send it through by May the 29th. Whew. That was a lot of me talking. On that note, I hand you over to episode number 46 and my tremendous interview with the legendary Georgia Flood. Very cool. You're a very multifaceted uh, Multifaceted, yes. Artist. I have to though. Like I've got my brain works so... I, I operate at such a high level that if I don't do things all the time, like I'll just go crazy. <laughs> mm. Mm. So... What came first, music or acting? Well, when I was younger, my sister and I, I think it was music. We both, the first thing we both did was piano and then um, singing and like recorder and and then sort of ballet. And then Alex and I would always, because Alex was my older sister, um, she's an opera singer now. Wow. She was three years older than me. When I was brought into the world, mm. she was the th- sort of role model, I guess, and she was always singing and performing. And so the both of us just ended up singing. And my parents would always have parties, and we'd always just sing and perform and make little plays up. And then Alex ended up. Alex had a really beautiful sound at such a young age; it was quite profound. And she would sort of get asked to sing at events and stuff. And then I would sing too but I was more of I was more like the court jester and I think that that was because my sister you know coming into the world when my sister had all the attention Mm. I had to kind of I guess compensate and be like hello like I exist and so I ended up being the comedian yeah I guess like I was making I always used to rip people off like my parents I always impersonate my mom or impersonate her, her, her friends and I I think my first acting experience was when moved to Dubai when I was six with my family mm. and um, we put on, my best friend and I put on a play when I was about eight at our primary school and we were just, the scenario was our mums and we were just on stage in front of the whole school impersonating our mums right. and um, that was like my first acting gig <laughs> <laughs> and I think surrounded, getting going over to Dubai 
having that as like a personality trait and then mm. going over to Dubai and meeting people of so many different accents and races and life experience, I it was like a candy store for me to just be rip everybody off <laughs> and impersonate them. Yeah, right. What was your uh, can you can you remember your mum impression? Oh, it was like Peter Dulles, like, have you got the, you know, have you got, where are my pearls, you know? Like, it was like prude and trude kind of thing. Right. Like, Dulles, where would, where? I can't even remember. But I remember my mum just finding it really funny. Mm. I remember being like at home and mum would be talking to me. She'd be like, George, get the thing or, you know, clean your room or do this. And then the phone would ring and she'd be like, hi, Lisa, how are you going? Like, how you been? Yeah, no, I'm just at home. And I'm like, what? How does that happen? And I was like, I can do that too. So you were observing your mum putting on a character. Yeah, I think so. And then you, in turn, adopted that character. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I noticed how, I know, I think that's what I noticed as a kid a lot with behavior, how people changed in front of other people Mm. and how they were all these different. I was like, oh, so you have to be, you have to be this person for, for your teacher and then this person at home. And then I was like, it's, it's cool. Like I found it fascinating. Um, and it happens all the time. Like you're you're your person at work, and you. I mean, like I think that's normal. Like you have to be like that. Yeah, everyone wears different coats, so mm. to speak, mm. in different coats. facets of their life. Yes. Um, and so you 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 mentioned that while when you were in Dubai, you that was the first kind of tangible experience you had as a performer. Do you remember, um, what that was like? I suppose energetically to when there was kind of that moment where you were like. This is something that I want to keep doing and keep trying. Yeah, it was probably all the, like, I I just remember having so much fun, like laughing and enjoying, um, enj- it was enjoying moving people, mm. like making someone cry or laugh or like, and I would try something and then if they laughed and I'm like, oh, this is working, you know? And so <laughs> um, I think that all the getting, keep, when I kept doing it and I was enjoying it and getting the encouragement of people laughing or crying or whatever they were doing, yeah. um, I was I was like, okay, I'm onto something good. I don't think I was obviously conscious of that. I was probably just, you know, loving the attention. <laughs> mm. Yeah. As we all do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so is comedy, is that kind of like your first passion? Yeah. Well, when I, that was what it was, it was always comedy as a kid, like, doing the plays and and then I think it um it became something else when I went to class and my first acting class was in um when I came back my first sort of serious acting class was when I came back to Australia when I was 13 I did a night act um acting to camera course which is acting to camera is so different and I everyone's like oh what's the difference between acting on stage or acting camera and it only took one second for me to learn when I was that age. I went into an audition for CTCA. Do you remember that school? No. Children's Theatre Company of Australia. And I auditioned for their agency, VYCTA, I think it's called. And um, I went in and I was, yeah, so young. And I did the scene in front of the camera. And the guy behind the camera, like, ended the scene. And he was like, yeah. So, you just got to talk. Like, you're just normal. Just you. Just be yourself. Like, just talk normally. Like, you don't have to. Just not so big. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, right. Because it's on the camera. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> and then that from that day on, I 
I changed, I um, started to develop new acting skills, mm. I guess, in that kind of vein. And then I, I think it was only until um, it was only until I got the agency, Catherine, when I was after that agency, that my parents were like, oh, this is a, she's onto something like this is a serious thing. Mm. And then it became like, oh, scripts and then like, serious films and serious films that I was in serious dramas that I was inspired by that I, that then it became this other thing, you know, not just a game or not just something that was fun to do. Mm. Um, Not just something that got you attention. Yeah. Something that got you attention and a pay slip. And a pay slip. Yeah. That was, that was always pretty great. Mm. But I think that it's, I was always very serious about it. Um, as a, at a young age, I remember being, I was, when I was seven, I've never not known that I wanted to be an actor. Mm. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It was like I was born. Oh no. What's that? Sounds like a circular saw. Circular saw <laughs> specifically. Yeah. <laughs> um, or like one of those ones that go like that and then the things spin off. So scary. Um, yeah, th- when I was, I used to watch so much, m- so many movies and like Shirley Temple and Judy Garland movies and wow, old you really school movies. Educated a, yourself. Yeah, at a young age. And um, <laughs> and then the Disney Channel and all these inspiring. Hey, My I parents know. used to talk us, take us to like the ballet and like operas and always, you'd always be immersed in the arts as, a, as such young kids. Mm. So um, it was never. And so much respect for art. It was never like a question that that could be a possibility. And mm. then I was, I just remember being like watching TV and being like, mom, I want to be there. Like I want to do what they're doing. And so she was like, cool. So she helped me get an agent. Got my first agent in Dubai, but that wasn't, that was just for ads. So yeah. did a lot of ad campaigns and stuff. So that was my first on-screen experience at like, you know, nine. Wow. Yeah. What were you advertising? Um, the first thing was Marks and Spencers. All right. And then... Um, Underwear? No, no. Um, yeah. Sleep. But ah, just clo- right. clothes. Yeah. Um, and then then I did an ad for Wild Waddy, which is like... Uh, it's a um, th- water park in Dubai. Yeah. And it was for the in-flight entertainment videos on Emirates. Right. And my character had to wear my character, my the person I was playing had to wear um, a full rash vest for you know modesty purposes because you know yeah. in Dubai and so that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> um, and then I had to do this other one where I was. Um, it was for the shopping in Dubai. They have this thing called the shopping festival. Yeah. Like they have a shopping festival. That needs to be introduced here. What is a shopping festival? It's just like, let's all go spend money. And like, if they put it on and there's, everything's 90% off. Right. And <laughs> like, everyone's Oprah. Everyone is Oprah. Yeah. And they're just giving out free, you just go and buy gold. Like gold's so much cheaper there. Gold. Gold. Yeah, literally. You just go and buy gold. gold. Everyone would just go and buy gold. They have these just massive. Just go to your local gold shop. Local gold. Well, they have these things called souks. S-O-U-K. And they, you go in there and it's like a, it's like a, a village market. Like a market, yeah. But it's just so much gold. Um, and mum bought so much gold. I remember her just dripping in gold as a kid. Um, that was pretty funny. You liquid gold. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, 
Yeah, the yeah shopping festival. So I I didn't I did just like the ad for that, which was like mm. standing with a family, being with these shopping bags, being like, ha ha, like money. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you developed a pretty diverse showreel by the time you were ten. <laughs> yeah. You had swim uh, swimwear. No, you had a water park. Yeah, Marks and Spencer and shopping shopping festival. festival yeah. yeah, so I was pretty much ready to. I mean, that's pretty much Anzac girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny because the ca- the family that I was ca- cast in for the shopping festival were like full European, like from bloody Cyprus or somewhere, and they mm. were really tan, and I am not that tan. So they painted my face in post production orange. Right. <laughs> so it's so funny. I was so excited to go, Dad, like to get in the car. We knew that the the ads were going to come out because I was going to be on billboards. Mm. I was on billboards all over Dubai. And as this nine-year-old, like it's pretty cool. And um, It's cool at any age. It's cool, yeah, it's cool at any age. Um, well, the number two runs out, trust me. And then the <laughs> the I went, yeah, we were in the car driving around and we like round the corner to see the billboard that it's on and I've got this huge orange face. <laughs> And dad's pissing himself and I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst. And all the friends at school like, what happened to your face? Oh, so funny. Yeah. I think that that theme repeated in high school when Fake Town was like invented. Yeah. And I was so orange in high school. And then everyone was painting themselves orange. Everyone was doing it. I set the trend. You did. I set the trend. You did. (laughs) You probably should have um, invested in fake tan prior to doing that though so you would reap some financial reward (laughs) as well can i admit something yeah i hate the smell of fake tan yeah it's not good like i've had girlfriends who Mm. have you know felt the need to bronze up Mm. uh, which i don't agree with in the first place Mm. but that's besides the point it's (laughs) like getting into bed with someone who smells like fake Uh, tan it's it's the worst i wear fake tan um sometimes and it's it's a struggle to, but they've they've invented ones that don't smell now. Right, that odorless tan. Yeah, but it's still yeah, it's still gross. I still mm. don't really get how it works. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, it activates the melanin and stuff. But like the fact that it, I swear, like it hasn't been around for that long. That like one day someone's gonna get cancer from it. I didn't realize. I just thought you were just painting yourself a different shade, or is it? Is so it you put it on. Working with you your put pigment? it on, and it goes on white, like clear. And <laughs> we were talking about. <laughs> And um, you wait overnight and it develops over eight hours. Right. It activates the melanin in your skin. Yeah, right. I I thought you just kind of had to do like an even spread of an, a different shade. Oh, you can. There is paint. There is version. Like, I don't right. wear that stuff though. Like, because that's, that's the stinky But they only sell that in stuff. like art stores. Art stores. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so i mean what was life like growing up in dubai i mean obviously you can't really compare it to australia because you didn't grow up in australia um what what did you spend like six seven years in dubai um so yeah i I left dubai i left phillip island phillip island when i was six years old where i was born so i was lived so grew up on the beach um scottish I've got the giggles. Um, yeah, I was I was born a Scot and then dad and mom came home one day and they're like, we're moving to Dubai. And I'm like, cool, what's that like? And they're like, it's in Arabia. And I'm like, like Aladdin, right? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, like Aladdin. So um, Alex and I went and got these Jasmine costumes. Mm. <laughs> and 
like we got dressed up and we had this massive going away party in, in Phillip Island. And you we said ha- Dubai bye to Phillip Island. Dubai bye. And uh, we, we got, we hired, mum and dad hired like a, a taxidermy camel for people to pose next to. <laughs> <laughs> and like everyone dressed up like we were in Aladdin. It was Arabian Nights theme. Mm. And then, um, so funny. And then uh, took the magic carpet to Dubai um and so random like so random yeah and not even in dubai but like an hour and a half away in a town called al ain al ain which is means al means the in arabic and um al ain is the wadi so sorry the oasis you know what an oasis is yes yeah so because this town was built on a beautiful oasis in the middle of the desert um but yeah so pretty much like Thought that we were going to move to this cool, like, exotic Dubai town place, which we saw all the photos of. Mm. And, um, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Birthing. Uh, and, um, we got there, and then dad and mum were like, actually, we're kind of, we're actually living just an hour and a half away in this small town. I was like, all right. And it was like crickets, tumbleweed, desert. I was like, are you fucking serious? Like, what the hell? And there was like one school, like one shop, like it was so small. But once we got to know the t- know the town and the school and everything, and we integrated, there's lots of fam- expat families there, and I'm, mm. we made some amazing friends, and we had the best times. Like on the weekends, we would just get in like the Land Cruiser four wheel drive and go dune bashing, mm. camping, go find some random oasis, and just like have like s'mores around the campfire and just it was just adventure city well town well yeah desert desert adventure desert desert. yeah jinx (laughs) and um all the while doing impressions of your mother yeah yeah pretty much all the while there would always be like every night like at the dinner table or at the campfire there would be a performance of some of some kind yeah and it would most likely be what happened that day and there would be some sort of reenactment and I remember Alex and I always fighting for attention from from my my parents, which was always fun. And then, um, and then, yeah. So, and then we moved back to we only moved back to Melbourne because of education at the time in mm. Dubai wasn't like it is now. Um, there was only you know ten high rise buildings at, when we were there, kind of thing in Dubai. Um, and Alain is massive now, the town. But yeah, when we we got we we got to experience Dubai at a really amazing rare time, which we, you know, that opinion is shared with the other expats. We were like, we're really cool that we had this. It's sort of like this mirage dream that never really happened. Mm. Um, it was this incredible time, because um, now Dubai is just like Vegas. It's just can't don't even recognize it. I went back for the first time in 2011, and I just was sad. Like the local impact. The local, the sorry, the expat impact was so full on that I just didn't see any locals on the street, and everyone was rocking around in like bikinis, and I was like, "This isn't the Dubai like I knew." Anyway, um, then we moved back to Melbourne for education because there wasn't that great of an education, a high school education at the time, and you know nothing compares to private school education in Melbourne. Um, so that's when I went to Methodist Ladies College, <laughs> and um. That's when I became Scottish again. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I got an education. 
Did you enjoy your time at Methodist uh, Ladies College? Methodist Ladies College. <laughs> I did. Would you say you're now a Methodist lady? I am a Methodist lady. Yeah, so, no. I'm not not quite Methodist. Probably atheist. No, I'm not. Um, yeah, no. MLC was amazing. Like, what an incredible school. Mm. I mean, everyone has their, ta- their bad times at school. Yes, there was so much shit times. But, man, that was an incredible school. We had this thing called Marshmead, which is like we would go and live on a farm for two and a half months or two wow. months and learn about sustainability <laughs> and um, the environment um, and global warming and whatnot. And um, that was amazing, yeah. And then Year 12 was great too. I loved Year 12. Um, Do you think that's because of the contrasting experience you'd had up to that point, living in Dubai, probably having a less... Um, westernized kind of education you could relate to people better in at mlc and there was probably a lot more commonality of uh not at all i felt like an outsider when i came home i felt like i was way more worldly than everybody else (laughs) no i just felt very um it was just different everyone no one i did experience a lot of ignorance because this was 9-11 9-11 happened when I was in Dubai mm. and um, everyone was telling us to like come home and that we were in danger. We were actually in the safest place. Mm. Um, but when I came back, no one really understood where Dubai was, which is fair enough. It wasn't really on the map in 2004, um, you know, on a big sort of scale. Um, and the, the everyone, they would be like, "Where? so where are you from? The kids at school. And I'd be like, Dubai, you know, they're, they're, where's that? And I'm like, oh, you know, like in the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia near there. And they'd be like, did you get bombed? Like, are there terrorists there? Like, what happened? Are you okay? And I'm like, what? Like, I just didn't get that concept. And obviously I was young. Um, but there was so much racism. Mm. That was the biggest thing I experienced when I came back was how racist people were to each other um, just in the communities in Melbourne. Mm, wow. Um and not racist to me, yeah, yeah. But like, um, and I just found that I didn't experience that over in there in Dubai because I don't know. Maybe that's because every single person was from a different country. Yeah. Like my best friend was British, my other best friend was Scottish, and like everyone was from different places. And I'm still friends with all of them. We have this Facebook group because our school was so small, and it's so cool to to have all these friends all around the world, see what they're doing. But yeah, no, um, that was. But I mean, um, after a while, I found that there were things that I didn't experience in Dubai that made me feel more um, like I could relate to people. Mm. And in hindsight, it was so good that I came back and had my teenhood here. Because I think being a teenager in Elaine, in that small desert town, would get quite boring, you know, Mm. and not much opportunity to kind of, you know, be the best you can bully. <laughs> mm. So, um, yeah, I remember the biggest, the biggest thing oh, is um, the food, like coming back at, and and experiencing Smith's chips and like Golden Gay times and you were like, where the fuck's the hummus? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we had um, we had like American food in Dubai, like American right. like Lay's Lay's chips or, or British food, you know, like. Reese's Pieces and mm. that's what we, oh, Hershey's. And so when I came back, I was like, Smith's chips, like sausage rolls. Like this is a, the best. Mm. That was the best That is thing. usually the first thing that people go for <laughs> when they 
come to yeah, Australia. I know. Yeah, trips with Barbie, like all this stuff that I'd never had as a kid. Mm. Milo, actually, we had Milo and Vegemite in Dubai. Mm. Um, and you, so you came back to Australia and start going to MLC. You go to a couple of um, uh, acting classes in Sydney. And then when you're, what, about 14, you get your first, like, professional gig in Australia. Yeah, so um, I did those NIDA courses in Melbourne at Wesley. They were holding them at the time. And um, uh, got my first role in ho- City Homicide. Mm. Um, when was that, like, 2007? Yeah. Um, my character... That was my feel. My first um was my feel. <laughs> it was my feel. That was my first dramatic kind of yeah experience. Was it City? No, it was this short film called Hugo oh, by yeah. Nick Verso, who's a great director. Um, that was my first experience on screen, and then well on film, and then I did City Homicide. Yeah, at fourteen, and then after that, did Nick I, say he'd seen a um commercial for shopping a shopping festival with yeah, you? Yeah, and that's yeah, why yeah. you got the role. Yeah, because yeah. of how orange I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he cast me because of that. And then, um, yeah, City Homicide. And then I was actually on the episode before Margot Robbie was on City Homicide. She was on that episode like a few episodes after me. I remember at the time watching her and being like, she's so good and pretty. <laughs> she's going to make it. Mm. Um, and then City Homicide, what was after that? Remember fourteen? Oh yeah, Tangle. Um, that TV show Tangle, on mm. um, not Tangle the Disney film Tangle with uh, with Cat Stewart. With Cat Stewart and Justine Clark and Ben Mendelsohn, who was amazing. Mm. He was so fascinating to watch work. How come? Um, he was just really an like um extroverted, and like loud, <laughs> um. And amazing and acting. <laughs> mm. um, he gave me. He's probably got a lot to do with my um, electronic music obsession. Actually, when I was that, I was fourteen at the time. I started, you know, developing. A, I think I listened to Chemical Brothers. I used to go to festivals, music music festivals, at such a young age. Right. <laughs> I used to go out a lot. <laughs> at yeah. Fifteen. We used to go clubbing. God, and. Um, I got obsessed with like Chemical Brothers and and Daft Punk and, mm. and um, Muse and big bands like Gorillaz, all those kinds of guys. And then I I think he saw me listening to that, and he gave me three CDs, which to this date I can't name any of the songs. They're all blank. Mm. And he was just like, "Here, have these CDs. Yep, have them. Have a Powerade as well." <laughs> <laughs> like be on your way. It's the Mendo pack. Yes. Three CDs and a Powerade. So funny. Blue Powerade. I was like, I don't know. We were on set and they were giving them out. And then um, I was like, what the fuck? And then I listened to them and they were so cool. Like really eclectic. Actually, one of the songs was Since I Left You by The Avalanches. Mm. And um, I was like, this is so cool. Like the Ben Mendelsohn's giving me these like really random music. And I so wonder one day if I see him. I'm going to be like, thank you, because, like, that really – and it annoyed me so much, though, that they didn't have 
titles. Mm. One of them, actually, I ended up finding out. Actually, I should Shazam them. That's Shazam right. has been you invented since then. Um, one of the songs is called, um, you know that song? La, 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 la. La 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 Loving you is easy because you're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that was on as well, along with other really interesting music. It's a very heavily electronic song, that one. No, no, no. That was they were they were really different. They all merged as well. Actually one of them was um Come on Baby Light My Fire by Shirley Bassey. Right a cover and it's like this big band cover and then it goes into this electronic thing but it's so cool mm. anyway so he had a lot to do with my music and then um i think yeah, i think it was going out as well just going to these venues like everyone when everyone was like let's go out because get drunk and go into clubs underage and i the most exciting thing for that for me was to be like well, who's playing like yeah. who's what music's playing what you know um not how many vodka Red Bulls you yeah, can well, I mean smash. That, yeah, <laughs> that came as well. Um, <laughs> vodka Red Bulls. It's Ruskies. Oh, Ruskies. Ruskies. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Not Jaeger Bombs. Do they still no, exist? Jaeger Bombs do. I just never really into Jaeger. I don't like Jaeger. Yeah. It's good for your digestive system, I apparently. That. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if anyone knows if that's true. Um they can probably find us on social media and tell us that we're that everything we've been talking about is wrong. Wrong, probably. But that's what people do on social let, media. Yeah. On Sesame Street? On social media, oh. yes. <laughs> on Sesame Street. Oh, shit, sorry. That's right. Um. The, the, <laughs> count, the, the count's math is all incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Sesame Street. I've never really... You know when you think about a word and you don't think of its meaning, like um, I don't have anything to liken it to, but sesame, like sesame seed. Mm. Sesame Street. Did anyone ever figure out how to get to Sesame Street? Oh, I don't know. Probably. Because there are a lot of people asking. Where is it? Well, can you tell me how to get how to get to Sesame Street? There are a lot of people asking you. Well, it's, 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 it's the theme song, all right? <laughs> oh! The joke didn't land. <laughs> oh, shit. I don't know the theme song. Can Whenever you tell me how to get... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So uh, we've kind of, we've diverged. Um, diverged. You were doing tangle with with oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> with all those awesome peeps, and um, oh yeah, music. Talking about music, and uh, music. I mean something that something that you have subsequently been able to do is things like Carols by Candlelight. Oh yeah. Um, God, I was so nervous. Oh yeah. <laughs> I almost forgot every line. Mm. Like I was looking at Cat and just like freaking out like I was shaking I remember just it was my first professional singing gig mm. I mean I've sung so many times on stage at school and you know karaoke karaoke in front of my friends what's your karaoke song um where well, I will always love you yep and uh, and I'm glad um, I didn't have to ask for that <laughs> Would you like me to do a rendition? I wouldn't, but I think your mum would. Mum would always, yeah. Mum always cries at the drop of my heart when I sing. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, so music. Carols by Candlelight. Carols by Candlelight, yeah. That was brilliant. It was, yeah, so nerve-wracking. And I remember being so like, what am I even doing here? Like, I'm in the hallway in the backstage with like mm. Delta Goodrum and Marina Pryor. I suppose my question in regards to that was... After doing Tangle, you know, you start working on things like House Husbands and Wentworth and yeah. um, Anzac Girls, which we can um, talk about 
my question relating to Carols by Candlelight and your and music, I guess, is did you feel like having that or building that public profile helped you to kind of um, start following something else that was your passion, i.e. music? Yeah. Carols by Candlelight actually happened specifically through um, the Habibs. It was a publicity stunt. Not stunt, but publicity thing. (laughs) You know, it wasn't negative. It was just Channel 9 saying these are two girls, Kat um, Hoyas and George Flood doing a song. And then afterwards they were like, they're from the Habib. So it's yes, to promote the show. But it only happened because I hustled and I said to Matt on um, Matt, who's one of the creators of the Habibs, I said, you know, Mm. I'm a singer and I really want to be a singer. And I want to be considered, I want to be seen as a singer by industry people. Mm. And he was like, yeah, we'll get you to sing at Carols by Candlelight. And I was like, sure. Like, <laughs> next minute. And it's always been a real secret. It's so funny that that dream, like, that's just like a cute little dream that came true. I've always, my parents and I and my sister and my dog who's passed away, R.I.P., always used to watch Carols by Candlelight every year and drink eggnog. Like, it was a tradition. And every year, Alex would be like, I'll be there one day, kind of thing. And um, it was hilarious that I got to sing Get There before she did and she's the <laughs> singer. Um, yeah, that was really, it was really lovely. And everyone was so nice. Like John Foreman and everyone was just so beautiful. Mm. I got a suitcase of nuts and chocolates. A suitcase of nuts <laughs> and chocolates. dressing room. Right. I came in, I was like, is this backgammon? And then I was like, yay. And then <laughs> it was like nuts and chocolates. And I was like, this is so cool. Is this backgammon? <laughs> <laughs> All the little like really cool like things that happen in the industry, like the presents you get at events and getting flown places and being put up in hotels like all that stuff never runs out for me like I'm right. just all every time i'm like holding my eyes i'm like i can't believe this is happening how was the logies oh it's, it's like the same recently. thing like yeah. so much fun i think a lot of people like a lot of people get um overwhelmed mm. at the logies which it is it is so overwhelming mm. um you mean um like people who are attending as like a performer or yeah like as yeah, a, yeah like a, a for someone everyone anyone who goes it's just a big stressful long event mm. um and so much posing and your cheeks hurt by the end of the night and you're just like ah and the red carp the red once the red carpet's over you're singing but like you're laughing i'll be singing depends um, on what you want to do <laughs> you'll be dancing mm. um we'll be eating actually because I, they, you know, you don't fucking eat the whole day. Because hopefully not while you're singing or dancing. <laughs> Pardon? Hopefully not while you're singing, singing or, or dancing. dancing all at the same time. Um, but the red carpet is the biggest thing because you get, you get, sort of follow, um, led around by a pu- your publicist, and they'll stand here, and you literally have to stand seven times and pose, and all the flashing lights and whatnot, and then there's this photo wall which is like takes so long because we're all lining up to pose it's like such a strange experience um i remember when i first did it i hated it four years ago i was just totally just like where do i put my head and like how do i smile and move along and like tripping and uh, and now i've just kind of got used to it mm. and you just sort of see it as sort of just part of you like logies is going to work you're you're actually at work and um if you learn to accept that it's just your job and you, you just, you're promoting your show, which you want people to watch. And it's just a promotional thing. And 
it's nice to acknowledge um, all the hard work that, and then it's nice to acknowledge the people who actually watch the shows. Um, so if you acknowledge all of those things, you can actually just have a great time. Like you've got all your friends. It's I love it because I get to see all the beautiful, um, generous, talented actors and producers and writers and mm. um, people that are there that I have worked with. And it's like, hey, how are you? Like, how you been? Like with that's, I love that. I love seeing everyone because you don't, no one, I rarely get to see all my actor friends because yeah. we're all, everyone's all over the world. Like some of my, be- one of my best friends, Andrew, um, Antonia lives in New Zealand or wherever she is. And Anna McGann who's another one. She's in New Zealand at the moment as well. And some are in LA. And so it's a good time to see everybody. Mm. And speaking yeah. of the shows that you might be promoting, um, you know, you know, since you were since you got that first gig that we were talking about before um, on City Homicide, you know, you've been working pretty consistently. I don't know why I'm saying you know that you have because I'm <laughs> sure that you do know yeah. that you have. I do know, thank you. That's all right. Um, um, what what have you? What do you feel uh, in terms of your growth? I guess as a performer through some of those shows, you know, I guess the roles that you're playing between, say, House Husbands and Wentworth and then Anzac Girls, a little bit different. Mm. Uh, Anzac Girls. I think the first time that we met was at a Larry Moss workshop Mm. maybe five or six years ago. Mm. And to kind of, even for me, like to see your evolution as a performer is, you know, it's um, it's quite stark where you where you went and where you've kind of wound up what do you kind of what do you think of that what do i think of the what what are your thoughts on that kind of progression or that evolution um i guess it it happened because uh, i chose i chose it you know like i knew that i wanted to keep doing different roles and not be stuck in the same um role um, and not be pi- not be pigeonholed or seen in any other way, and kept um, kept a profile that allowed me to to do different roles. Because at the end of the day, that's the goal for me is to be able to continue experiencing different characters. Um, that's the where the fun lies, I think. Um, and um, yeah, what was it? What was it? Um what was the experience like for you when you got the role on Anzac Girls where you could kind of go, here's something that I could really, really sink my teeth into. There's so much like actual, like factual history behind this. Um, these, are, these are real people mm. as compared to some of the other shows where it's you're creating a character from scratch. That's a, The Anzac Girls story is pretty funny. I was on set on House Husbands and Anna McGann was learning lines for an audition for As It Girls because she plays Olive in it. And I was like, what are you um, auditioning for? And she's like, oh, this new show called As It Girls. And I was like, tell me about it. And I was like, yeah, everyone's got an audition for it. And I was like, why haven't I got an audition for this show? Like, I really I really like it. And the way Anna was talking about it, and she was effus- like effusive about her character saying how cool it was and she was so connected to her character because her character was um, quite religious and Anna's religious. And, and she's like, she's a real person. And I'm like, 
I want an audition. So I called Catherine and I was like, can I have an audition for this show? And she's like, oh. your agent? yeah, Catherine pulled in my agent. And she was like, no, they, um, they won't see you because you're too young. And I'm like, bullshit. I'll show them. And so I managed to get an audition and, um, through Maura Faye, Lou at Maura Faye's really brilliant casting director, um, a lovely lady saw me and, um, I did a self tape with her and then I um, found out that I was on a short list like a couple of days later. And then um, Catherine, it was like on the weekend or something. It was like out of hours and mm. Catherine like would ca- call me and she was like, so it's between you and one other girl. There are six uh, people going in the room now. I know that three are barracking for you. I don't know who the other three are. And it was just like my wow. f- shaking, like, what am I, like, am I going to get it kind of thing? And, and I like your first kind of really lead, big lead, lead role. role. Yeah. And I, um, I was at the tram stop in the middle of winter coming back from rehearsals for a film that I was doing. And, um, Catherine was like, Georgia, you got it. <laughs> and I was like how she does. She's so funny. You got the role. And I was like screaming on the tram. Um, and, um, what did that mean to you? Yeah, well, I'm just thinking about that. Like the, it was so important to me because, uh, first of all, the the script inspired. I wasn't just like, oh, I want this role because it sounds cool. I read, I got the scripts, and I read all of them in one night. There was six episodes, wow. and I was just like, poor, like crying tears on the pages. How moved I was by the script, and um, how moved I was by. Um, Alice Ross King, the mm. woman I played, um, she the, the the series is based on the five women's diaries, real diaries, real like written by them all at the time of the war, their war diaries, and um, Alice's diary is so interesting mm. and emotional and honest. Um, much more honest than any other diaries at the time. And she was such a beautiful writer, really succinct, um, really clear um, and and imaginative. And she was a romantic. Like you could tell the way she wrote about Egypt because they had to go to Egypt. Um, in 1915 when they called the war, they all got shipped over to Egypt and they sort of settled there for a bit before the war started. And so they had this amazing sort of romantic time there with the with the soldiers before they went off to war in Egypt. And the way she described, you know, how the, the hot, sticky dates smelt when they were melted into the, the tarmac mm. or the gr- ground. I don't know. Did they tarmac back then? Surely. Don't yeah, know. the roads. Anyway, the roads and how that would, you know, and, and when the sun would set, how purple that was and the way she described her experiences I was just like this is so rad mm. um so it was the scripts that moved me the, and the writing and, and the writing and the way that Nikki Aiken and um Felicity Packard wrote this the scripts um they're such amazing writers yeah so uh that's what it meant to me the, the when Catherine told me that I was able to I was going to be able to be the one to deliver the story I was mm. like because I knew I just knew it as well. Like I knew deep down that I could do it or I, or I wanted to tell the story. And it was hard because at the time I had also gotten another film role in this film called Now Add Honey. And I really loved that script as well and the mm. character. And the character was so funny. Like a, it was a comedy. And um, 
that film's come out, I think, last month. Um, and I got the role in that film and I really loved it and I really loved the people who were working on it. Um, but I couldn't do both because they were filming exactly the same time. Yeah, right. And I was like, shit. And I was like, I actually feel this weird kind of spiritual ob- obligation to tell Anzac girls. Mm. And so I wrote a letter to the people who were casting now Ed Honey and the writers and the producers. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry. Like I best of luck with your project and I really want to do it, but I have to, um, I have a responsibility to tell the story kind of thing. Mm. And in a weird way, it, I learned all this stuff about, I learned everything about World War One. I. I didn't know anything, nothing like little things, but like nothing. Nothing like from Franz Ferdinand to how to be a nurse, which I loved. I loved that medicine because we had to train how to be nurses. We had to learn all the a, a um how to inject and um inject <laughs> how to um you know give someone immunizations and all mm. that kind of stuff and and wrap bandages and like all the training of how to be a nurse was so much fun and doing that with and with um Antonia and Anna. And Caroline Craig and Laura Brent, the other nurses, mm. we all like would go back to our rooms because we all had to relocate to Adelaide. We all stayed in this apartment block and um, we'd all come over for tea and knit and do things that they would have done back then. And mm. um, I didn't take up the knitting because I've got my attention span is too short for knitting. <laughs> um, so we would just get, you know, drink tea and tin wag and. And then it was funny. Um, yeah, learning. That's like the greatest gift of acting is learning a new skill that your character does that you would never otherwise learn. Like mm. now I know how to sort of do nurse things and quite good at medicine. Like I'm good at medicine. <laughs> That's cool. You know, like my, my dad, my dad's a doctor and he's, he's an amazing doctor. So maybe that's where that comes from. But, um, and that's also why I want to keep, the diversity is being able to go and learn skills that my character, mm. you know, like go and take a year off and learn how to do ballet like um, Natalie, Port- Natalie Portman did mm. for Black Swan. That's so cool. Like, mm. I love that. Want to get a role where it's like you can get fat, really fat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be good at that. <laughs> Could you get fat? Yeah, if I wanted to. Right. I'm sure. Uh, you said you you said you felt a spiritual kind of mm. connection to this role. Is that is that something that you kind of believe you you mm. you kind of uh, shied away from saying you're an atheist before? Mm. Um, is this is that something that you do you feel a sense of this kind of spiritual life? Mm. Definitely. Definitely. I've always been very spiritual, especially as a kid. Like mm. when I was growing up in Phillip Island and in Dubai, there were such magical places. Um, I always felt, I always felt as a kid on the beach, like so magical, like so connect connected, I think is the word I'm looking yeah. for, to the earth and to my experiences and to people and to animals as well, <laughs> you know, like really connected. And, um, it continued in Dubai. It was just like on fire, like yeah. being in the desert and like all this incredible p- 
people that I met there and like old, old, wise, magical Arabic men who were like, I'm going to tell you a story and, you know, like getting carried away with all that kind of stuff. So you magic lamps. Magic lamps, you know, inspired ideas were always, there was never any question either. Like I was never like, or labeling. Mm. Uh, um, Judgment. Judgment. Yeah. It was just, this is, this is, this is an isness, isness. And um, I think that that's what, makes my experience with acting so um, addictive maybe because I channel the connection. Um, what do you do to channel the connection? Um, do you have any sort of practices that you... I think that as I got older, you know, and you learn, you go through shit and you learn about death and you, you experience death and you learn about... Um, you learn about mental illness and you learn you go through heaps of crap and you see the shit in life it kind of rains on the spiritual parade and what well, did for me and so re- reality was harsh and so channeling the connectedness became harder and only recently have i been able to find this sort of um okayness with acknowledging that there is a spiritual world and it's not necessarily open unless you're open. Mm. And I guess as a kid, I was born that way, born open, born connected and born into a really fortunate circumstance, like a really loving family. We didn't have any tragedies as a kid, like as a kid. Um, We had an amazing experience overseas as a family, really fortunate so I didn't, you know, go through like trauma or anything. Um, so growing up and going through, you know, being a teenager and all that crap and then, you know, just growing up, um, they kind of, the spiritual world became another place rather than a place that just is mm. already. And so to channel it now, I music, it's music. I literally, there's, I meditate now. I've been practicing meditation for like sort of like a year now and I do yoga and I find that yoga is a physical, um, uh, a physical, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Exercise Mm -hmm. to enter a sort of place of creativity because you can sort of ready your body to be um, malleable for any experience or be open. I think that's what yoga is. I think yoga has become this really fashionable thing, but really it was invented to um, make sure that there's to iron out the kinks ready for meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find yoga very helpful for channeling before an audition or before um, going on set. Before Anzac Girls every morning, I would do a bit of yoga and a vocal warm-up and listen to music. So... Every single audition, without a doubt, I have to listen to music before I do it. Mm. And um, But I found sometimes in the past being reliant on it is also bad. So I had, I learned how to do it without it. But if you've got it, use it. You know, whatever inspires you, whatever. It, and it might be a different song. Sometimes it's like really upbeat music that turns me on or it's really sad music that gets me um, in touch. Mm. But it's like once you sort of like, get emotion, get access your, I think the spirit world is, is 
is our world. I don't think it's another place. I think you can only, you can only, I think it's consciousness. I think that's what it is. And once you're conscious and you're here and you're present and you look at the tree and you look at the couch and you look at the colors and you look at where you are, you're like, you actually acknowledge, holy shit, like I'm on this fucking rock Mm. suspended in space and there's the moon, you know, like, whoa. And then you really, you have, you actually are communicating with you can communicate with your surroundings. And I think that's, I see like, you know, when you, you, you touch a tree and the tree touches you back, not literally, but Mm -hmm. like you're, you feel the friction. I see that I've experienced that as a communication. So like I'm, um, when the trees are moving or when the sun's setting or when everything's going on in the physical world, it's, it's like, it's communicating with me because it, Technically, it is. It's it's sending your body a message. It's giving you information. It's an energetic exchange. Exchange, yeah. Um, and I find when you go back to the present moment of acknowledging those things and communicating, not ignoring the the information in mm. the physical world, that can really bring you into uh, that space, the the space, the, the space which is uh, you know the creative space. You're able to be creative and open and. Mm. And that really helps with um, improv. And I love improv, particularly comedy improv. Mm. And if you can reach that space, relax in your body in the moment, you are you can be on fire. Mm. It's a great place to get to if you can. <laughs> mm. <It laughs> I <is>. recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that a lot of... Um, a lot of... It's funny, I was talking to someone about what kids represent... In uh, and it's something that I've learned through doing this podcast, and I've something that I've mentioned on this podcast before is this idea that um, children actually show us grown people who have kind of armored up and put all these kind of layers on to stop people from really seeing us. Um, children, generally speaking, don't have those kind of they're, they're uninhibited in their in their innocence and their kind of unconditional love of everything in the world and everything that's going on and I think that we do you know we spend the first portion of our life like that then the next portion of our life putting all these layers on to be accepted or to be understood or to be loved and then there comes a point at whatever age you may be um, where you start going oh maybe maybe I should take these things off um, and I think that's the, usually the point that people start to find uh, meditation or spiritual mm. practices or religion or mm. uh, whatever it may be uh, and I think particularly as a performer you need to have that alert presence and those listening skills and um, mm. all, all that kind of uh, those kind of attributes that make you alive and in the moment totally mm. totally 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 I think that I think the whole um like, why does it have to be a process with the the building of walls? Mm. You know, I actually do think it's got to do with West Western, but like modern so- society. Mm. I think what's going to happen is, if we're going to go existentially yeah. now, uh, I think that the world will always be here. Mm. You know, it evolves. I just wonder where the we're prepared to evolve as you know, and if we don't, we'll just all die. But the world will still be here, and it'll just grow mm. and change. You know, 
it's it's a very uh, narcissistic point of view that humans have that when we go, the world goes. Which yeah. is not <laughs> yeah. really yeah. the case at all. Yeah. The world predates our yeah. existence by some years. Yes. And it will probably outlive yeah. our existence as a race yeah. or species. Species. Just like dinosaurs aren't here anymore. Suckers. <laughs> Like Bet they thought the world was going to be they, gone when they were yeah, gone. Yeah, they probably are. <laughs> yeah, enter meteorite. Yeah. Oh, I saw Jurassic Park the other day. It's so bad. The new one? Ugh. Or the original? The, the new one. I was going to say the original one. No, the original is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the soundtrack. Oh. Uh, uh, something that I've started kind of really trying to practice myself is letting go for the need for justice mm. um, because I'd rather choose I'd rather choose to be kind and loving than to you know oscillate between right and wrong and, and hold grudges against people who I deem to have wronged me or whatever it's like it doesn't actually help the quality of my life or the quality of anyone's life for me to feel that way you can certainly set up boundaries so that you're not consistently treated poorly but yeah i'm really as i'm uh as i'm growing and getting older mm. really starting to let go of this need for need for justice and just going eh, everyone's doing the best that they can with mm. the tools that they've got and some people have quite deep-seated wounds i guess that they act out of to try and protect themselves or whatever it may be uh so, yeah, this 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 idea of kindness and and um, and the loving awareness, I guess. Mm. It's like forgive for, forgiving all. Yeah, that's the one thing fundamental I like from Christianity is mm. that idea of like everyone just forgive everybody and love them unconditionally, unconditionally love everybody. Mm. The thing about it, it's funny, like you're talking about that because I'm sort of having this similar experience maybe a little bit op- op- opposite like right. uh, i've always been someone who isn't necessarily a pushover but i just don't care mm. like i've already forgiven them like i love every i love the world and i love a lot of things about the world and i love a lot of people and i love i have a lot of love and i give a lot of love mm. and i've never held a grudge i've never i could never stay mad at someone I've never had a con- I, I'm not good with confrontation. I'd rather just be like whatever because mm. I've never cared that much to like get justice or anything like that. I've always been like whatever. Um, but only in the recent past have I been like, no, that's not cool. Like you can't get away with treating people like that when people have treated me, you know, badly. Mm. Whether it be a small scale to a large betrayal, you know, like it's that's not cool. Um, and relationships teach you that, I think. And not just, you know, yeah. romantic relationships, but relationships to yourself, to your parents, to whoever it is. The boundaries thing is really important. Mm. Um, and that's got to do with, like, I really believe that quote, um, you accept the love that you think you deserve. And it's like, you should, you know, do no harm, but take no shit. Mm. Um and I, I used to think that getting justice or getting, you know, confront, confronting someone and saying, you can't do this and 
was about was like sort of a bit like narcissistic was about me getting closure or something but it's like well actually it's teaching someone a lesson to say you can't get away with that again Mm. and then putting that lesson out there so that it's the world's a better place kind of Mm. kind of vibe and um yeah but i i i agree with you that you know being staying mad is it's like that quote about holding the if you're mad at someone you're drinking poison or whatever that quote is Mm. you're holding a hot rock there's no point but they think there is a point in not letting people get away with bad behavior because they continue it just like children Mm. you know what i mean like well it depends to me um i i agree with you to an extent but and i'm going to speak from my own experience uh where recently it was suggested to me by friends that i should let a person know how they had wronged me and i said to them you know what if they would like to understand i will be happy to tell them so if they seek me out and they want to clear the air or speak to me or whatever i'm going to tell them how I feel that they've wronged me, but I'm not going to actively seek to tell them because that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is not to uh, spread my own prejudices or my own um, self-righteous ideas about what right and wrong is. My responsibility is to myself. And should someone take responsibility for themselves to come and find me to ask me what my point of view was, I'll tell them. And I hope that they'll take that on board uh, but ultimately, you can't. I don't think you can um, change someone. Change change people. Yeah, so you're, yeah, I know what it. you mean. I know what you mean. So it's like, um, it's like, if they don't have the foresight or intelligence or guts or balls or love to see that they've wronged you, they're not. They're, they're never going to see it. Mm-hmm, correct. Mm. I don't know. Is that true? When someone's confronted me about something in the past that I've hurt them, mm. I didn't know and I've changed for the better. Mm. So, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There is the there is lesson. There is there is value in... in t- but you are I, open to the change. Uh, yeah, so you think they're not going to be open to the change. I'm not <clears> sure. <throat> um, perhaps. But I suppose I am learning to take as much responsibility for my own behavior and my own actions as possible. I try not to ever, like, for example, if someone does something to me that I don't uh, agree with, I'm not going to say, you made me feel this way. I've kind of learned to reframe it to say, I feel this way because no one can make you feel anything. Yeah, you give them permission. You have to, yeah, I agree with that a lot. So really taking that responsibility for myself Mm. and for everything that I do and trusting that everyone's a grown-up and that they can all, which perhaps people can and perhaps people can't, mm. um, but take responsibility for their own shit and, as I said before, kind of accept that everyone's doing the best that they can with the tools that they've got. Mm. This just got this got really, like, philosophical. Yeah, yeah, great. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> it's funny, like, I... Um, yeah, like you, no one can make you feel anything. You will have to allow them to. But there, you know, there is sort of like, you, do you realize you make me feel like this when you do this? Yeah. Is a good sort of sentence. And then they can say, oh, no, I didn't. Well, that behavior made me feel this way. Yeah, your yeah. Beh- that beh- that behavior. Um, it's like dating. 
just this big, vague hole. Mm. Are you dating anyone at the moment? No. Hence the hole. <laughs> no. No. I, I thought think that may have been a sexual thing. But no. No. Oh, oh, that's funny. No, it's so hard for me to have a also relationship. Also, maybe a sexual thing. Which one? The hard thing. Oh, yeah. It's too hard. Yeah. Yep. The hole. Well, that's an interesting point. Uh, a topic that I do uh, speak to people about on here is the idea and the notion of uh, dating as a person who works in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. and the challenges that that may present. Yeah. Well, I'll never date an actor. Apologies mm. out there to everyone who... <laughs> jokes. Um, that's not true. Um, it's hard. It's only hard because I travel so much and I'm... Um, it's like I have a child mm. um, on call. So it's like I'll go on a holiday, for example, with my ex-boyfriend. We went to Bali for a week and I had three auditions. Mm. We're supposed to be relaxing and I'm like, I've got to stay and got to do the self-tape and I've got to do this. And, you know, he was quite supportive of that and helped me with it But um, at the time. But, um, you know, it's those things and, and, and constantly t- traveling and – Never being able to commit, mm. that's what it is. It's like, so I'm so lucky to have my best friends in Melbourne who are my high school friends who are just like, I just come home and everything's the same and it's just so solid mm. and like lifetime friends. And I'm lucky that I have that because, you know, they understand, mm. you know, but it was hard to commit when we all finished school. It was very hard to commit to doing things and I missed out on a lot of stuff with them. Um, you, um, and if I missed my two best friends, Phoebe and Chloe. I mm. missed their 21st birthdays because I was filming Anzac Girls. You know, that's really, they're really important events for young people, you know, and, and you, I was, I gave them video speeches, you know, over yeah. Skype, um, which, you know, I still, I still feel a bit of pain about, um, that experience and I feel bad, really bad about it. And I've actually learned in the past sort of year how, the importance of being able to balance it because at the end of the day, this job acting is really important to me. Mm. And I've always been such, so determined. Like I'm like, I'll risk and, and compromise and do everything I can in my power to get this role or to get to bloody Hollywood or whatever it is that I realize that I just need to calm down and realize that you're doing all of this because you want to have a great life and be happy and share it, like mm. share your film or your song with the people that you love. Where are they going to be when you've spent all the time trying to do all this stuff? You know, where are they? So I've spent a lot of time dedicating, d- disciplining myself to stop being so disciplined, like, yeah, with right. that, you know, and saying, no, go to that party or go and go to that, go and see your friends or go away with Phoebe for the weekend and do nothing. You know what I mean? And like have fun and play a board game and stop worrying about your self-tape and, you know, put the phone down kind of thing and and live, like live. I think there's a time there where I felt like I was just acting was my life and it was, you know, I just missed out on, you know, just having fun and being mm. a kid. And not, not not a lot, just a little bit. Um it's a lifestyle that we've chosen as opposed to a career, really, yeah. or a job. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, which I think any artistic 
endeavor really inevitably becomes like i got up this morning it's saturday and i went and i i (laughs) I went to my computer and i started doing video editing Mm. and then once i finished doing the video editing i packed my little portable podcast kit and i came here and we're doing a podcast and you know who knows what i'll do after Mm. maybe i'll go crazy and write a script that'd be cool that would be cool. That would be very cool. I probably won't. Not the crazy part, but ah. <laughs> well, actually, I was You've just never seen I was me go crazy. Well, mm. Mm. Prob- is it good? I don't know. Mm. I don't really go crazy that often. I do. I go crazy way too often. Right. <laughs> I was listening to in my Uber last night. We were in the worst traffic. Melbourne has the worst traffic on a Friday night. I never do it. And we were listening to. You'll never ever survive if you don't get a little bit crazy mm. by Seal. And there's this lyric where he go at when it goes into the bridge. He goes, "You never survive if you don't get a little bit." And I'm like, every time I thought he was saying a little beer, <laughs> it's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so my Uber driver found it so funny. We all like scream at the top of our lungs, "If you never ever survive, you don't get a little beer." <laughs> a little beer. A little beer. I mean, Seal, Seal had some important things to say about the size of your beer. Mm, he did. Uh, talking about travel before and this is a way that i'll segue back into Mm. anzac girls you got to travel uh because you were nominated for an award um oh yeah for your performance in anzac girls yeah we um was that experience like that was so much fun so much fun so lisa scott who is the producer of anzac girls and has been a guest on this show oh really oh yeah i love lisa she, her and I travelled to Monte Carlo together. Where um, they speak with Scottish accents. Where they speak. Well, I don't know why I'm doing I think it's because recently I did an Irish, not Scottish, audition with um, Pierre from Actors Caravan. Right. Uh, self-tape. And every time I see him now, we're like, hello, how's, how's your day been? <laughs> doing it in Irish or whatever it is. Anyway. Um, Monte Carlo. So the festival was called the... Monte Carlo International Film Festival and mm. this section was the Golden Nymph Awards. <laughs> a nymph is in like a creep, you know. Oh, I know what a nymph yeah. is. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know why they call it that. I should probably find out. Anyway, so I was nominated for Best Actress in a Miniseries up against Frances O'Connor and another great actress from Norway. Um, and Frances O'Connor obviously won it <laughs> um, for The Missing. Um, but, yeah, it was great. They flew us over. It was so random. I met, like, Terry Crews. I met, like, um, Shooter McGavin. Can't remember his actual name. Um, <laughs> but he was eating pieces of shit for breakfast. Yeah, he was definitely. Uh, and the guy, Ron Perlman from Sons of Anarchy, all these people that I love. Mm. And um, it was amazing. It was my first experience at, like, ho- kind of, like, whoa, the big time, mm. like, these are like Hollywood people. Like, what's that guy's name from from who's in that new show? Um, that new American TV show, Empire Records. Um, he's also in Crash. Um, Matt uh, Dillon. Uh, Matt Dillon. No, not Matt Dillon. The um, African American guy. Don't know. Can't anyway, remember. he gave. It's pretty funny. He was like commanding the room of all these actors and was giving us like this acting lesson. It was. So interesting, so interesting, like how different people are. Mm. Um, n- not in this industry, I feel very much at home when I'm 
at an industry event in Australia. It's just like, it's just Gaz Sweet and like every, all the regulars <laughs> and like Julie Morris and all the people that I've grown up around yeah. who have raised me sort of. So I feel really at home here. Whereas over there, it's just like, whoa, everyone is so American yeah, <laughs> um, and European. But it's great. It was a really great experience. And um, having Lisa there was good. They put us up in the most stunning hotel. Mm. Monte Carlo Bay Hotel. And um, what was I going to say about it? Oh, yeah. Terry Crews was so funny. I was like, how do you dance? Where did you learn to dance like you do? And he was like, you know what, Georgia? I was... I wasn't born with an embarrassment gene. <laughs> no was, shame. That's no shame. He's so good. He's a very funny man. Yeah, I love him so much. And, yeah. What's and um, another another of your career highlights recently, <laughs> you did a uh, performance at the Sydney Opera House. Arcadia. Yeah, I keep forgetting about that pretty amazing i mean what was <coughs> what was that like first time you got to step out on stage so i'm such an idiot i still haven't been inside the opera house mm. like i've been in the theater which is inside the opera house but this the opera house is so big and confusing i was like how do i i would always be like the security guard so how do i get into the opera house and he'd be like which part i'm like just want to go and see the opera house and he's like you're like in it and i'm like i don't get it <laughs> found it very confusing um no it was amazing it was so um intense yeah um every night i'd have to arrive 45 minutes early to get my wig put on and then to there's the the hour call and then you do your vocal warm-up your physical warm-up go out on stage do the like like and then you know do that and if you don't warm up you're screwed like Mm. you really are like those actors who are theater the best of the best of theater actors are take my hat off to them that mm. like that's an art it's a physical they're athletes you have to be you have to be physically and vocally fit to do theater and if you're not you'll get a sore throat and you won't have a voice or you won't communicate the story properly and then the play will falter and then the script writer will kill you in your sleep <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a lesson in that for me because I've never been to acting school. I've never been to NIDA or anything. And I all the other actors in the show, not all of them, but most of them had been to NIDA. Mm. Blazy Bess hadn't. Um, and so I got to ha- – there was this one huge masterclass. I kind of felt like I was at school a little bit like because it was, you know, a routine of getting there and being disciplined and mm. doing your vocal warm-up and, and, and being focused. And the play was so intellectual. Um, it was just this big existential blah. Um, and he, Tom Stoppard covered like all the topics you could cover Mm. about science and maths and sex and love and literature in this one three hour play. Um, and my character played the prodigy, the smart, you know, ingenue of the, the whole cast. She was the sort of character who was based on, um, Byron's, Lord Byron's daughter, mm. who in the 1800s postulated the idea of the computer. Right. And she died. So my character was based on her in that same kind of, she was smart. And the, the, the play covers Lord Byron a lot. Lord Byron's a very big character in the play. He's not actually in it. Like, you know, one plays Byron, but they talk about him. Mm. You know, my character has this speech that's like, um, I wonder if I can still remember it. When you stir your rice pudding, Septimus, 
is the character's name, Septimus. A spoonful of jam spreads itself round, making red trails like the picture of a meteor in my astronomical atlas. But if you stir backward, the jam does not come together again. Indeed, the pudding does not notice and continues to turn pink just as before. Do you think this is odd? And she's talking about, um, she says, you cannot stir things apart. Mm. Talking about um, Newton's law um, of motion and... Um, what did they do? You kind of saw things apart. Think God is a new journey. If you could stop. So she goes on with this this is concept that she's, this character's 13, mm. that she's come up with. She's like, if you could stop every atom in its position and its direction, and if your mind could comprehend all the actions thus suspended, then if you're really, really good at algebra, you could write the formula for all of the future. And although nobody could be so clever as to do it, the formula must exist just as if one could. <clears throat> and I was like, that's such such an incredible concept mm. to come up with. <clears throat> and um, she, I had to sort of discover that every night and I did because it was so intense, that concept, that every night I was saying it, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's coming out of the creative space mm. that I cleared my mind for <laughs> to be ready for. You aligned your chakras. Yeah. <laughs> Chakra. um, yeah. And I guess it's like what you were saying earlier about the gift of being an actor is being able to learn yeah. new information, new skills, totally. stuff that you otherwise probably might not delve into. Um, mm. I feel like we could probably talk about all this stuff for a long time. Forever. Forever, but I am conscious of the fact that at some point in your life you have to go back to Sydney and have your career. So, oh yeah, that's still that's in July. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can keep doing this podcast until July. (laughs) We should actually. There's this podcast that um I just heard on Triple J on Hack yesterday. Mystery show. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. This girl Starly Klein started this show called Mystery Show, where she just um. Solves random mysteries. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's good, I recommend it. Kind of like Mythbusters. Yeah, except not like. Except. Not about science. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not about science. Well, maybe. About mysterious things. Just events and stuff that mm. she solves. And people call her and they say, they ask her to solve mysteries. Why are we plugging another podcast on our podcast? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to do it. Because we're talking about podcasts. I feel like any topic we bring up, then we just like talk on the topic. Yeah. I'm really good at that. <laughs> they yeah. give me a topic and I'll just talk on it. <laughs> Pal versus my dog. Uh, oh, I actually know something about this. Oh, go on. It could be wrong because that's always the case. But mm. uh, my dog and Pal were competing for a for a um. There was a, a company that was were selling their idea to buy to buy Pal or my dog, either one. And um, the people, the, the businessmen that came in and pitched why they wanted to buy the business or control the business, own it. The way they did it was they ate the dog food. It was Pal or my Good dog, group. either one, and they were like, "This is how dedicated we are to this." This company and they got the job. <laughs> right. Might not be Pal or My Dog. It could be something else, but I'm pretty sure it's Pal. Perhaps the that um, podcast that you just mentioned before could solve this mystery. Hey, 
Yeah, see that you did there? Um, To round out the conversation, I always ask the same question, and that question is, what makes you silly? Accents. (laughs) Clearly. Um, I'm painting your face orange. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's um i love i'm always i always talk to myself in the car doing accents my phoebe and i always do accents it's like our funnest thing to do phoebe's also an actor but she's sort of st- stopped doing acting and went into jewelry right as one does as one does yeah would you like to plug her jewelry yeah i was about to be like phoebe harkness jewelry <laughs> yeah i don't um, know she doesn't have a brand name yet i don't think oh there's me mum there's your mum. And on that note, <laughs> thank you so much, Georgia. Thank you for talking to me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you.